Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 70 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. And today's guest, Kev Mason, also known as Keto Kev, was recommended to me by Nicola Locke in episode 70. And what I love about Kev is that he really focuses on health. And as we know, people come to the ketogenic way of eating for weight loss, but they stay for the health benefits because there are so many different health benefits to being keto. And we had a, a long chat as you're, as you're listened to today, but we didn't get a chance to talk about some other things that Kev has a real interest in, such as red light therapy, cold exposure and personal training. So I've left it with Kev that he's going to come back in a couple of months time and talk about those aspects of your health and improving your health. So I'm going to read to you what Kev says, but what was interesting that he left the army with weighing 130 kilos with no real direction in his life. And it's great to hear how he's turned his life around and he's doing something that he's really passionate about and really enjoys helping others do. So here's a little bit about Kev. Kev Mason, or Keto Kev, as he's become more known as, is a ketogenic health and fitness coach. After serving 13 years in the British Army and reaching a massive 131 kilos, he realised after leaving that something needed to be done. He discovered the paleo diet and from then he dropped 10 kilos without effort or going to the gym. Once he started losing weight, he decided to look further into health and fitness and discovered the ketogenic diet. At first, he was slightly apprehensive about the high amounts of fat, but decided to go for it. Nothing happened apart from gaining weight. Confused about this newfound wonder diet, he looked deeper and deeper and how to optimise keto for the best result. Trying and failing a few times, he finally nailed the right path of a higher protein and medium to high fat ratio and then things started to happen, but Kev still had a skeleton in his closet. He still consumed alcohol, and in March 2019, after being threatened with divorce, he sunk to the lowest point of his life. He took charge of his life, quit drinking, and applied all the knowledge he had into building a keto group to help himself and others. He gained qualifications and diplomas in the ketogenic diet, and diabetes recognition and treatment, and began courses in red light therapy, cold exposure, personal training, and the gut-brain connection. 
He began coaching clients and started turning lives around, including his own. With a Facebook group of over 15,000 people and private coaching groups, he now creates content and information to help as many people as he can. Although not a qualified chef, Kev has had formal training with Jeremy Ravenshaw Fowler and would rather be known as a cuisinier rather than a chef. He says, we help educate people on real health. So let's go over to my chat with Kev. Welcome, Kev, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Yep, thanks very much for having me. And we always start by where in the world are you? I'm currently in Germany. Okay. Is that holidaying or is it your home? No, no, I, I, I uh, stayed here when I left the army. Ah, excellent. Um, so start by telling us your low-carb keto journey and how you got started, how you came across it and all things like that. Go back as far as you need to. Yep, sure. So with every good story, there's always a, an important woman behind it. And uh, I never knew anything about low carb keto or anything like that carnivore until my wife found it. And we don't have English TV or German TV because uh, here German TV is rubbish. <laughs> and at the time we, you know, we, we just tended to watch YouTube and, and, and bits like that when I left the army and my wife found um, Marxism and she said, oh, there's this guy, he's doing this and he's that. And, you know, she wasn't overweight. She was just, she just had a baby. So she was just carrying baby weight, you know, five, 10 kilos extra. Um, but I was 130 kilos. Um, and she said, I found this guy and he kind of has a different approach and I want to try it. And I was like, okay, well, what's it about? And she said, you know, it's uh, take away your bread and your pet. And I was like, no, just don't even bother carrying on. <laughs> Let's just stop there. Right. So she looked into primal, um, and bought the, uh, primal blueprint <clears throat> and started reading about that. And I wasn't interested and it took me about six months and she said, look, I feel great. And you know, after just a month, I, I, I feel fantastic. Um, why don't you just try it? There's what are you going to lose? And if by, by trying it for, for a month, you're not going to lose anything. Uh, and I said, okay, you know, let's try it. And I did, I lost something. I lost about seven kilos in a month, literally seven kilos. And I was gobsmacked. I was like, oh my God, how, how is this, how is this happening that I'm not eating? And it was a pretty much only gluten that I dropped out. It wasn't so many seed oils. I still had some potatoes. I still had a little bit of sugar every now and then I still had gluten-free flour because that transition period for me at the time was, was hard. You know, yeah. I was a total carb monster. Um, and then I tried it and I started losing weight and I wasn't going to the gym or anything like that because I was embarrassed about my size. So I just carried on doing it and carried on. And yeah. And then I just lost more and more weight. And then once you're down that rabbit hole of like, why am I losing weight? What's wrong with me? What, what was wrong with me before that is I was eating a healthy diet. I was eating, you know, my five portions of fruit and vegetables a day. I was trying to, apart from exercising, um, you know, I was, I was trying to live that when I left the army and trying to lose weight. And I was look, I was looking at Weight Watchers and Slimming World, but I wasn't doing it like religiously, you know, I wasn't going to meetings or anything. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't understand why I'd lost the weight. Like what was that? So I started to look into it a little bit more. Um, and then I'd done a, a, a DNA test 
Um, and then you could send the DNA results away to get an allergy test done as well. So I'd done the allergy test and it came back that I was gluten intolerant and, um, all the problems that I had with my, uh, my skin, I used to have, um, like a kind of an eczema on the inside of my legs and in the night, subconsciously, I would be scratching the inside of my legs so much. They would bleed. Like I would wake up in the morning, there'd be blood on the bed and I'm like, Jesus, uh, you know, and all of my hands would dry blood because I'll be scratching in the night. It was that bad, like a psoriasis type, type eczema type thing. Yeah. Um, all of these things, my knee problems, my back problems that I had when I was in the army, they all went away. So I just started to look into it more and more. And then there was a guy called Drew Manning um, over in the US, because like I said, we didn't watch German TV, we didn't watch UK TV um, and everything was happening in the US. So we saw this guy fit to fat to fit and we watched it. And it was a guy that intentionally gained weight so that he, he gained 75 pounds so that he could then lose weight with his clients. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And that kind of caught my eye. And <clears throat> he'd actually done that a few years before. And we were watching like reruns of it. Um, and th- at that time, he didn't do it using the ketogenic diet. He used it doing different um, other methods. Um and he was a personal trainer. And then he was known as, then he started doing keto, which is when I started following him. And I was like, keto, what is that about? You know, and, and so I've been doing paleo primal for about two years um, and getting fitter. And then it came to keto and I was like, all right, what's that? And it was like, you can eat bacon and butter. And I was like, oh, I don't, mm. I don't know. Like, is that, is it right? You know, it goes against everything we've been taught. Absolutely. Especially like when you've got Mark Sisson that says, you know, he has his his big ass salads and things like that. And then Drew was like slamming down bacon and butter. And I was like on coffees, like with butter in them. Uh, I know Mark done his coffee as well, but I was like a little bit skeptical. So I, I was, I went for it and I gained weight and I didn't know why I gained weight and I was doing keto completely wrong. So apart from the fact that I was still drinking alcohol at the time, um, I was eating way, way, way too much fat. I didn't know what macros were because when you go from paleo and primal to keto, you don't really worry about macros. So I was eating it. I was doing it wrong. Um, and I was gaining a little bit weight and I was getting frustrated. And obviously now I know that the more stressed and frustrated you get, it's going to raise your cortisol levels and you're going to gain weight. Yeah. So I didn't know that. So I started gaining weight and I hated it. So then I stopped and I said, well, keto is obviously not for me. Um, and then I went back to doing paleo and then I read more about keto and I learned more. And then I found Luis Villasenor and his approach of keto with a higher protein. Um, and I started looking into him and he had a, a reasonable amount of fat. Like, you know, he, he was running around, um, for my macros would have been about 130 grams of fat, but he was running more higher protein and that sounded more towards my liking. So then I just, you know, you start studying more. Um, and about, you know, I would say about four years ago, I started keto properly, Yeah, still drinking alcohol. So I still wasn't optimizing my health by ditching the alcohol. And um, when you say drinking alcohol, sorry to interrupt. Yep. What sort of alcohol were you drinking? I mean, were you drinking wine or were you drinking yep. beers and no, I'd, I'd high stuck carb? Up beers. Ever since I found out that I was gluten intolerant, I stopped drinking beer. Um, the odd gluten-free beers slipped in every now and then. Um, but, but normal beer was, was a no because I knew that the reaction I had with it. And also I tested it a few times. So I'd been not drinking for a few months, um, you know, like beer, and then I would drink beer and then my reactions would come back. 
So yeah. I knew that it was the gluten. Um, so I was drinking wine, tequila, and all those kind of, uh, it was mostly wine. It was mostly red wine. Um, and yeah, so I, once I realized what I was doing wrong and dialed in what I was doing right, I knew how to change it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then um, I think it was three years ago coming into, uh, so I'd, I, I mean, I'd learned so much about keto and, and I was really kind of taken because I was in and out of jobs not really had, I didn't really have a proper job. I was a lorry driver. Um, and I kind of wasted my time when I left the army. Um, but I had a serious alcohol problem and it was stopping me from moving forward in my life, not just with my life, with my uh, family life, my work, it affected my job. I actually got fired because I got drunk at the Christmas party. Um, and it it was that bad. So I was going to say alcohol and driving job don't really mix, do they? No, I mean, that was all right. I wasn't driving. I wasn't drinking in the week. You know, I could curb my alcoholism. You know, it, it wasn't like um, I wake up in the morning, I'd have the, the, the jitters and I needed alcohol. It was when I drink, I drink and I don't stop. And that was what it was. That was the like an army mentality that had, that had gone through as well. And we just used to party constantly until we couldn't move anymore. Um, so the weekends I was hitting it hard, but then I lost my driving job and worked in a factory um, like with plant machinery, farming machinery and stuff like that, um, fixing those kind of things. So then the alcohol started to creep in like a bit more during the week because I was on late shift, morning shift. So, you know, I come back and have a, have a wine and that in the lunchtime. Um, so it got worse. And then in, uh, about three years ago, so, um, yeah, March, 2019, I had a birthday party and the next day on a Sunday, I was tidying up and I don't know why but I just started drinking all the leftover beers like it was just like you know the the we've got these desperados over here which is like a tequila beer and I was just drinking that and I sat on the sofa and I and I carried on drinking and my wife um I think she went upstairs for a, for a sleep or something because you know we, we had a late night and she came down and she was like what, what are you doing <laughs> what are you doing drinking that stuff and I was like the, the, the first thing that came out of my out my mouth was it's not mine. It's not mine. Like, whose is it? Like, what a ridiculous thing to say. Um, so we had a massive argument and um, she said, basically, you know, we're finished. So I, I, at that point, um, I'd hit the bottom. I hit rock bottom that I've never been in my whole entire life. Mm. And this is the important part. And this is why I go into, into a little bit more detail because this is where things started to change. And she said to me, um, <laughs> I spent the night in the woods. I slept in a hammock and it rained all night. And I'll never forget this. Um, I went to the pub and I, um, I went to the pub and I had a glass of water instead of having a drink. And that was it. And I thought, well, maybe if I can prove myself, then things can get, do you know what I mean? Then, then I can get back with her yeah. and be with my family. So I slept in the woods in a hammock and I came back the next day and I said to her, look, what, you know, come on, what can we do? We've been through some hard times, you know, in the army and stuff. Let, let's do it. And she said, I can't do it anymore. You've got to grow up. You've got to do something with your life. Even if you get like a part-time job, can't just have you hanging around, helping a few people and doing this and doing that. You know, you've got to get your life together. You were a really good soldier, you know, <laughs> get your life together now. So I did. So I started to learn meditation and I learned meditation, wellness, and started researching things. And I slept in the roof on a, on like a pallet bed 
for about five or six months because uh, she didn't want me anywhere, you know, in that area. And I was fine with that. And I would read these books and I read Mark Sisson's book over and over again. And I read Drew's books and I learned, and I was on the internet and I was reading, researching, doing courses. You know, I was getting my keto qualifications. I was learning about diabetes and I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be this person. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and it just totally changed my life. So although I was eating keto and paleo before, it wasn't until the, uh, the 23rd of March, 2019 or two, no, 2018, 2019, that I actually pulled everything together and made something of everything that I had. So I had the knowledge, then I gained more knowledge, then I gained the qualifications. Um, and then I put it into action by doing what I do now. So long story short is, although I was keto and paleo before, it wasn't until I stopped drinking alcohol that I actually pulled my life together and made something of what I had to help people. That is a fantastic story. Thank you for sharing that. So how how did you get to be, you know, you, you see the army as being this elite group of soldiers, flyers, whatever they are. How do you get to be... 130 kilos. I'm, I'm just going to translate that for um, our American um, listeners. It's 286 pounds. Yeah. And in the UK, it's over 20 stone. It's almost 20 and a half stone. Yeah. So how did you, how do you do that when you're supposed to be this elite fighting force? Well, uh, when I joined the army, we had these entrance tests and everything was good. And I passed the entrance test and I was, reasonably fit i wouldn't say i was really fit um i was pretty fit and when i started my training to to be the trades training so i went into the remi which is the royal electrical mechanical engineers so we were mechanics and engineers and and and, and those kind of things um i started my training and my training was quite long like waiting for the course so we were just hanging around waiting for the course um partying and stuff like that and one night i drank too much, like almost like a bottle of vodka ish to myself. And I was on the ground floor and I was outside and we were smoking and I, everyone was in my room playing darts and music was blaring and that, and people were sitting on the windowsill and it was like these really old buildings with the wooden slidey up and down windows. Like really, sometimes they were stiff and sometimes because of the temperatures, they would just fall down on their own. Um, and I was like, yeah, come on, get out of the way. I'm going to jump through the window, like jump through and then come in. And as I did it, and as I left the air, one of the guys that was sitting on the windowsill was like, hell, oh, whatever, and slammed the window and it fell down and smashed. The window smashed. And my arms went through the open glass. And as I hit my head, I went to grab hold. And as I grabbed hold, I ripped all my arms and, and, and to pieces and you know hand injury and that's when it started so i started to become lazy i couldn't do press-ups i couldn't do any sport but i still wanted to carry on drinking with my mates so i just Mm. started gaining weight and gaining weight and gaining weight and then because of the bad nutrition so it was an alcohol and the bad nutritional advice that they were giving us when you know the standard kind of british diet standard american diet that, that that we've been taught about you know and then the food that is available in the army is a, is atrocious. I mean, it's really bad. You know, it's like I guess because they're following the guidelines, aren't they? If 
if they're following the guidelines, then I don't know because, you know, like the salad was bad, you know, it was like uh. iceberg <laughs> lettuce, chopped up cucumber and tomatoes. And that was it, you know, and that was pretty much it. But it was all junk food. Like they make out that it's not junk food. They make out like the food is good, but it wasn't when you're down at the soldier level. Um, it's not good food at all. And so we were drinking, I wasn't exercising with everyone else and I just became lazy. And the more lazy you get, the more you don't want to do anything, the more weight I gained, the more injuries came with the weight gain, you know, like I would jump out of the truck and, you know, all the jumping being a hundred kilos, you know, is putting pressure on your knees and your back. So as that's getting worse. So all the injuries that I was sustaining in the army, um, through being lazy, cause I was downgraded. And the problem is when you're downgraded and you have a back problem is you can tell the doctor, you have a review each year and you say to the doctor, I've got a bad back. There's nothing that they can do. They can't check it in any way. It's not a broken bone. You know, it's not something, you know, they, they, they can't do anything. So they just say, okay, you've got one year to do your own sport to keep yourself fit so that you don't have to do sport with everyone else. And that's being called downgraded. So your fitness is downgraded, but you still get the same money that everyone else gets. And at the time you would still get the same promotion chances. So I was basically sitting back and taking the same amount of money, doing the same promotional things, doing the same job and being fit, fit enough to do my job, which was a carrying heavy things and, and all that kind of stuff. But I wasn't doing the sport. So I was just riding the ticket and the more I'd done it, the longer I did it, the more easier it became because they were like, he's long-term downgraded, come back in three years and you'd gain weight and gain weight. And then you were going to the NAFI, which is like the shop, which is the, um, like a spa type shop. Yeah. And you were getting yeah. your pies, your, um, burger puff thing, sausage roll stuff, you know, sitting there munching down on pot noodles and and you couldn't even be bothered going to the cookhouse to get food, you know, because what was the point? You know, when you just go to Naffy and get a burger, it tastes better. So, yeah. And it just went, it went down and down and down and down. So that route that you followed wasn't necessarily a route that most soldiers follow. It was just your personal story. Do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a bit of a mixture of both because the food was so bad. Hardly anyone ate there. Um, the nutritional advice that they were given, even when we stuck to it, um, because it, it went in peaks and troughs for me. So sometimes I would try and lose weight and I would do the remedial um, sport to try and get fit, to try and lose weight. But there was no like, you know, like I would get sent to PT at, at six in the morning and I lived here where I live now in Osnabrück and I worked in Paderborn, which was uh, about an hour and a half to two hours drive. And I used to do that every morning because my wife was a uni here. Um, and we bought our own house and I would have to go at six in the morning or half past six to do sport. And they would take you on sport that you can do. So it, it depends what, cause I traveled a lot, what place you go to. So some places and, but they just push sport for weight loss. They don't look at anything to do with nutrition for the yeah. weight loss side of things. Um, so it was kind of a mixture of like the bad nutritional advice, the bad sport advice, um, the lack of um, you know, the lack of kind of knowledge that they had and the lack of knowledge that I had. So yeah, it was kind of a mixture of everything, but they yeah. don't help, you know, it's not like they, when someone's downgraded and they need to lose weight because they're overweight, they don't have an injury. They're just overweight. They don't stand there in the, in the queue. And they say, you know, when you get in your lunch and say, 
don't eat that. Don't eat that. They don't give nutritional advice like the sports, the, the PTIs, the instructors. They don't give nutritional advice really, but the nutritional advice they do give is all like mainly plant-based and stay away and eat pasta and is, you know, eat potatoes because they're going to help you lose weight. Yeah. And I, and maybe carb load because you need the yeah, fuel because- for the energetic work that most of the soldiers were doing, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we were getting pushed to eat these, you know, when we were on exercises and we were eating these 24 hour ration packs, they were like four and a half, 5,000 calories a day, which, and we were eating it because, you know, you needed it, but some people, you know, we're not built to tolerate those kind of things. And that's where it went wrong for some of us. Some people were fine. Some people could still eat these things and they can still drink and they were still fit. But the majority of the people that were overweight, it was due to poor nutrition. Yeah. And I guess even the people that could manage with those, that food and that those packs, um, maybe in their late thirties, early forties, they were starting to feel the effect of it. Maybe they left the army by then and then they probably got some health conditions that they won't even relate to being from their early, <laughs> earlier life yeah. in the army. No, I mean, um, one of the client or a few clients that I've had have done their 22 years or 25 years in the army and they've come back to me and they've, and, and they were fit in the army and they used to do cycling and running. And then they've come back to me and it's all, they've gained so much weight. And I see the people and I think it's, it's like, they've stuck to these kind of things the new, I mean, you can look at it. I mean, you can, they've looked at the, they, they've stopped exercising. That's the thing because you're mandated to exercise. You have to exercise unless yeah. you, you know, unless you've got the excuse like I did, you exercise, then you eat badly. And then I know you say that you can't exercise out a bad diet, but the amount that they were doing, you know, they, they were doing it, they were surviving. Do you know what I mean? They were getting past. And then they leave the army and they stopped exercising and they've continued drinking and eating the same things that they did in the army. Yep. And you can just see them year by year gaining more and more and more and more weight. And so they've come to me for help now. Yeah. Well, good that they've got somewhere to go. I've, um, I've spoken to a few, I've, <laughs> I've actually got a, a contact in the tri services that works in the health and nutrition department. And I am trying to put forward a case at the moment to try and get, someone to give me a trial run of keto um, with a regiment or a section or something in the army. But at the moment I keep on hitting a brick wall because they are, they, <laughs> the funny thing was the lady said to me, who's in charge of the nutrition and health and nutrition in the whole of the forces. So the tri-services army, Navy, air force yeah. said, said, we don't push extreme fad diets or encourage extreme fad diets, but then it's okay to be vegan or vegetarian and they'll facilitate those ones yeah. they will facilitate keto and paleo. So yeah. I'm in a war at the moment. Yeah. I wish you luck with that, but I don't see anything moving until the, the UK's guidelines change. Yeah. I think if anything, um, there is one person who I know um, who's got quite up. He's, he's got quite far in the army. And he's still serving. I think he's on his 28 or 29 years because you can do extended service and things or, or 25 years. Um, he was he was thin. Then he was fat. Then he was thin again. Now he's fat again. Now he's thin. And I've contacted him. Um, his colonel might, might try and 
do a secret kind of <laughs> let's try it out with a few people and see where you go with it. But oh yeah, that would be fair. That might that might happen end of this year if I'm lucky. Yeah, great. Can, you know, it's not going to be like a proper official clinical trial or anything like that. But I will be able to document it and say, look, these guys are eating this. They're doing exactly the same day to day as these ones that are eating this, and look at the difference. Yeah. Yeah, because you've got a great control group there. Yeah. So do you, because you said you would, you started off on the higher fat and then you moved to higher protein, I guess, moderate fat. Is that yeah. how you would class it? How, 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 do, how has that influenced your practice and how you work with other people? Well, I used to be very dogmatic about uh, high fat. So I used to say right at the beginning, I used to say no to everybody. And I say, no, don't go higher fat. And it was very like, um, you know, I, I was new. I guess I was trying to make my mark. Um, you know, there, there's, there's lots of coaches out there. And if you want to get, if you want to be known, you've got to make your mark. So I was very arrogant when I first started coaching. Um, and I said, no, that's the wrong way. And I was very strict with it. And I would say, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. Have to have higher protein. But the more I learned and the more courses I've done as well in diabetes and, and, and uh, the gut microbiome and other things, um, I managed to kind of work out how to give people the best of what it is. So it's not necessarily um, that I push high protein now. It's definitely a case of that I prioritize protein. Um, but if that person needs a higher amount of fat, you know, it, then then we go that direction. If males are doing powerlifting and or, or if anyone's doing powerlifting you know then then i raise their protein level and when i calculate people's macros <clears throat> which is something that i've been doing now for for about four years doing personal macro calculations um and it takes me about like 20 minutes to do one person yeah because i i look at it and i read what they've given in the answers and it's not just a case of typing it into an app and saying you know i do this and that because Perhaps when they say I'm active doing this, whatever, you know, I run and cycle um, twice a week. So they put down, they do sport twice a week, but then a power lifter comes along and says, I do power lifting twice a week, need a different intake yeah. and a different ratio, fat to protein, you know, and what are their goals? What's your goal? Okay. It's fat loss and muscle building. Okay. What's your goal? Okay. It's just fat loss. So you really need to take into consideration every little detail about that person, you know, the person's, um, uh, what they're, what they're doing, you know, that activity level and yeah. what the activity is, which is why I, I've done quite well when it comes to people losing weight, you know, even people that have come to me and say, can you calculate my macros? I've done them. Um, and I haven't heard anything from them for a year. And the next thing is like, I stuck with Kev's macros for a year and this is my outcome and I'm feel brilliant. You know, so so do, do you do you advocate that um, people follow the macros quite closely? Um, are we tracking? Are they tracking every day? I like people to track every day when they begin, so then they get a sense of how it works. And once you gain the knowledge on how things work, then you can really understand your body and work out whether or not you need to track some days or not. So if you're on one meal a day, because that's how you've um, like the default is, you know, some people end up on one meal a day. That's just how they've evolved. Yeah. Um, then you don't really need to check your macros 
religiously. And so it, it just kind of depends. And when I work with people, I like I definitely say, at least for the first three or four months, try and track it. But some people are really bad with tracking macros. They they like that's their downfall is calculate is, is tracking macros. So if they track, then they lose and they go and then they 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 give up on keto because they find it too hard. So if I'm working with a client and I've, then I can help them track their macros and things like that. And, and we can do things together. We can work out plans. But for example, if you are, um, it's, I've completely forgotten what it was called, but there's, there's a, um, there's something in the brain and Lewis was telling me this. And basically if you wake up in, uh, it's the same, what, um, Mark Zuckerberg does, he wakes up in the morning, he wears the same suit every day because yeah. he removes that decision-making process. So he's simpler and Elon Musk does it as well. I like Elon Musk more. So I'll use him as an example. So <laughs> Elon Musk wakes up in the morning. He puts the same suit on. He's got about 10 of the same suits. I think he said it in one of his books that I read and he gets up, he puts it on in the morning, same shirt, same tie, same shoes, you know, like <laughs> black socks, whatever, black pair of boxers, everything, you know, and it removes the decision-making process. So it leaves, yeah. You know, so if you do that with keto, so if you take some time to work out a plan and then you can say, okay, in the morning, I know that this needs to be, you know, this jar of whatever, or this packet of cream or whatever is roughly 200 grams. If I want a hundred grams of, you know, like I'll draw a little line on it. You add it, you know, you know, roughly what you're doing because macros are never going to be 100% spot on. So if you remove that decision-making process, a lot of people work a lot better with it. But if you've made a plan with, with someone at the beginning, then they're more likely to succeed if they don't like tracking macros. Other people have to do it. They have to wake up in the morning. They have to do their macros because if they don't, then they're going to fail. Yeah. So it's really an individual thing that you've got to help people with. Yeah. And it is all about planning, isn't it? And being prepared. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So do you have any experience of working with menopausal women um using the, the the way that you work and and how have you found that if you do i i actually haven't worked a lot with um women going for menopause i know um the mods that i've got in my group one of the ladies maria she's um i would probably say to to go so far as to say that she's just as good as keto as i am um she's learned a lot and she's helped out a lot of people, a lot of ladies in menopause as well, but I haven't had personal um, clients with menopause. Um, but it's something that, that is like, yeah, you know, you, I can't really give my personal experience, which is a shame because there's a lot of things that, you know, I wish that I could, like, I don't, I haven't worked a lot with pregnant or breastfeeding women um, because I can't experience it. So if it comes to like, people ask me, can you give me some ideas on, can I do this or can I do that? I always send them in the direction of people that I do know that have experience with that because um, just because I can coach everyone, it doesn't mean that I should coach everyone. Yeah. So, and, it, and it's important, you know, not just as a coach, but as, as any kind of a person to pass that onto the next person that is, has more knowledge. So I haven't personally worked with with any women with um, menopause. I think there was one lady um, right at the beginning, um, and I think she came off her HRT. I think, yeah, if I remember correctly. But that was the only one. Unfortunately, not a lot. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your keto and how you do it, and what what 
what would a day look like for you in general? So I go on a cycle over a year. So um, if we start with Christmas, then you'll understand why I do what I do in January. <laughs> so <laughs> at Christmas, I go paleo. It comes to December or because I, I like to do a lot of things for Christmas. I love Christmas and my kids love it. And so I start Christmas in October. I know it sounds crazy. Wow. <laughs> I start Christmas in October. So, but I do it because of the groups that I've got and, and, and the website and things like that. So I create Christmas recipes. I don't necessarily eat them all. Um, but I create all the Christmas recipes for um, a, like I normally do an ebook at Christmas. Um, and the Christmas tree is up in this room in my office. And so it starts in October. Then I have a meal with friends, a Christmas meal. So I have a full on Christmas meal with friends take some photos, blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I kind of start slipping towards more paleo, like beetroot parsnips kind of slip in a little bit, a little yeah. bit more fruit. Um, so I'll go into paleo and then Christmas, I'm full on into paleo and I'm enjoying honey and things like that. And then when it comes to January, I go into carnivore mode. So I do a strict carnivore in, um, in January. Yeah. 100% strict. Um, apart from coffee for the first week, which I allow myself coffee. But what I also do in the first week is I have raw milk and raw honey because I, they are, in my opinion, okay on carnivore. If you're doing carnivore to do a body reset. Yeah. Um, but if you're doing keto, obviously to weight, lose weight, they're high in carbs. So you want to avoid. So I have honey and raw milk in the first two or three weeks. In the last week of January, I am, into hardcore carnivore. And then in February, I'm normally in carnivore as well. And then towards the end of February, when things start to grow, I will then introduce a keto approved or a keto one of, you know, um, fruits or vegetables as they come in seasonally. So yeah. I really like to eat seasonally because that's what we're meant to be like when, you know, we, so, I like banana. I used to hate bananas as a kid, but I like to eat a banana and maybe I'll eat a banana two or three times in a year. Um, but they're not from my area. So yeah. why do I want to eat them? You know, it's like, it's a nice treat and I like coconut as well, but it's not from my area. So I don't eat it. So all the meat that I get as well is from around here. All of the vegetables I get are locally sourced. They're from a market. You know, it, it's like, um, yeah, you know, it, it, and then it goes into the more seasonal. So I enjoy asparagus. So when it's asparagus season, I eat asparagus and it's a very short season. So I enjoy it. So I don't want to miss that. And that's like end of February, beginning of March. So then, you know, that's a kind of a yearly cycle that I do. But when it comes, when I break it down, that's not every day. So when I break it down and I think, for example, today, I woke up in the morning, I didn't have anything, I had some water. Um, and I came to work and I'll just drink water. I drink hot water sometimes because I like a hot drink. Um, maybe squeeze a little bit of lemon in it, but not that often. Um, but I just sit here drinking hot water or sparkling water. Um, and then around 12-ish, depending on when I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. At the moment, I'll go and cook about six burger patties, which is about, which I think 300, about 500 grams of of mince meat I'll eat. So about 500 yeah. grams of burger patties, a little bit of salt. Um, and then that's it. And then maybe I'll eat tonight and I'll probably eat more burger patties. 
because when I'm on carnivore, I get lazy. So I just want to eat and get back to work. So January and February, um, when it comes to work, are my most productive months because I spend so little time in the kitchen and my kids love it as well. My kids are like, yeah, I'll have a burger. Yeah, I'll have a burger. I'll have a burger. And so we have burger and, and, and bacon. We live on burgers and bacon in January and February, all the whole family um, and beef jerky as well, which we make ourselves. Um, but if I'm doing keto, then I'll wake up if I'm, cause I like to track when it comes to um, even though I've been doing it for a long time, I still track Feb, you know, like March, Feb, uh, March, April, May, June, in, into all these months, I still like to track um, because you can sometimes let the carbs run away. Yeah. So they can, you know, like a cashew. And then the next thing you know, you've blown 30 grams of carbs on, on a few, few cashews or something. So you've really got to, you know, I have to really track. So a typical keto day would be kind of wake up in the morning, probably have a bulletproof coffee, depending on if I actually fancy it or not. Otherwise I'll just have a black coffee. Sometimes you wake up and you feel energized and you don't want to have, you know, a, a, a fatty coffee. So have one of those. And then lunch is normally around one and two, because if I fill, if I'm filled up from the, the coffee, you know, um, breaking my fast with butter and collagen, all these kind of things. Um, and then normally I would have like, I prioritize protein. So I would make sure I have a good amount of chicken or steak um, or, or something like that. And then maybe a salad type thing, depending on what vegetables are available. Yeah. Um, and then in the evening, I would have, I try and have like, um, try and eat dairy only at lunchtime and rather than dairy in the evening. I don't know why, but I've always found that I can, it can sit quite heavy in my stomach when I'm eating dairy in the evening. Yeah. Um, so I would have, again, I would prioritize protein and see what kind of protein source I want. Um, I try and have fattier in the, in fattier pieces of steak in the, in the, uh, in the afternoon, um, and then chicken with a butter or something like that in the afternoon. And then in the evening, maybe a more leaner, some deer or, you know, something like that, like venison is a bit leaner. So maybe, you know, depending on the time of year piece of that, and then whatever seasonal vegetables are, are kind of around at the time excellent so do you not when you're in your carnivore mode and mostly eating hamburger patties do you, do you not get bored no i know so I, just, <laughs> I know everyone says that they say like oh, aren't you bored with just eating patties all the time and i'm like no because we've got a great source of um of, of a great meat source and they make their patties and then they freeze them and then i just literally take them straight out the freezer and they're only beef and salt. That is all they are. Yeah. Um, and I take them out of the freezer and I stick four of them in the frying pan. And then I just wait a few minutes and then I flip them over and I wait a few minutes again. And then that's it. It's done. It's just, I think because it's the convenience of how fast it is, you know, it, it's like sometimes I don't even bother cooking bacon under the grill because that takes too long and they don't cook at the same time. That frustrates me. Yeah. So I just want to eat and go. Um, but by the end of the two to three months, then I'm like, I'm getting bored with burgers now. <laughs> and so when you're in your carnival mode, do you eat do you eat eggs? Yeah, sometimes I like it. Like um yesterday I had four egg yolks, but I try not to eat the um the egg white. Okay. Why is that? Well, I I've read in so many places that egg whites are the best part, but I don't believe that, you know, I, I don't believe that they are the best. They're not the best protein. And if I want to be getting a protein source, I want to be eating protein from, from animal flesh itself. Um, there's nothing wrong with egg whites, 
I just don't, I find them bland. And even if I, I mean, if I have a scrambled eggs, then I'll eat them all. If I have a fried egg, I only fry the yolk because it's the best bit way healthier. <laughs> the best bit of course it is it's way healthier as well it's got it's got the cholesterol in it it's got the vitamin d in it you know it's super healthy um and then what is the egg white it's just protein and i don't know my dogs like it so i cook it for the dogs and the dogs will eat it that's interesting i've never considered just frying egg yolks i mean i've I've added extra egg yolks to scrambled eggs so scramble some eggs and added extra yolks i've done that i've never considered frying egg yolks yeah i've got one of those splitters it it clips on the glass and then you crack the egg into it and all the white falls out and it leaves the yolk yeah so and then you know or depending what if the kids want to make meringues then i just give it to them and they can make meringues with it yeah so do they make meringues with sugar or no no there's no sugar in my house ah so have you got a good recipe for meringues? I have, yeah. I use xylitol. I mean, I try and avoid xylitol as much as I can because it's poisonous to dogs, dogs. and I've got dogs. Yeah. Um, and also it's got carbs in it, like a little bit of carbs. And I like to keep things as easy as possible and can't be bothered calculating the carbs into the recipe. So I use, you know, erythritol for most things or stevia. But for xylitol, yeah, it, it works way better with xylitol. Yeah. Cool. Also, also, which is really cool. I found out a couple of years ago before this room had um, heating in it, because I used to be in this, this room in my cellar without heating. Um, I made a simple syrup when I was making cocktails um, or mocktails because they weren't with alcohol. And I made it with xylitol and water to make a simple syrup. But then what I'd done was because the kitchen was, the kitchen was cold, it wasn't heated because I left it on the cooker overnight. And when I came back the next morning, it crystallized. So I've got xylitol crystals that look like diamonds so i keep on making those because they look so cool so then i put them on my food and i want to make doing food photos or something they look like little diamonds wow just thought i'd say say that's something interesting yeah (laughs) so i've got a couple of questions so one are your family totally paleo how old were your children when you moved to paleo primal um well my son my my youngest was he's eight now so he was just when we, when we discovered paleo and my wife did, he was just being born. So it was just as we leave the art well, just as I left the army. Um, so he's been pretty much gluten-free his whole life. We had to do a experiment where we, um, so we had to test him. So he had mm-hmm. to eat gluten. Um, but we found when he was in kindergarten that he wet the bed when he had gluten and even the smallest amount. So I, I can't even, I can't even touch bread without getting a reaction. I'm that bad. Um, so he's been gluten-free all his life. And then the other two, my daughter's just turned 14. So they've been doing the same, obviously the same time. Um, and then my son, he was the hardest one to get off of gluten. Um, he was, he's a nightmare. So yeah. well, he was a nightmare, <laughs> sorry to say, but we found um, a lot of his behavioral problems at school, concentration, um, you know, like, you know, like lack of concentration, you know, his mood swings all went away when he had no gluten in his diet. And when he would be a pain in the backside at home, or he would come back with bad grades, it would, we would know that he'd been having gluten and we sat down. And I said, look, you know, man to man, mate, are you eating it? And he was like, yeah, I am. I can't, you know, everyone else eats it. And there's the peer pressure at school that, um, you know, 
oh, why are you eating that? Oh, what is that? What are you eating? Because they don't do school lunches in Germany. Yeah. How old is he? Is he older than? 14? He's fifteen now. Yeah. It's hard when they when they get a bit older. They have a yeah. lot of peer pressure, don't they? Yeah. I mean, the the gluten is definitely a no no. Is it like a massive no in my house? But I won't like um, I won't be dogmatic if their friends come over and they give a lollipop or or some chocolate or something. I try and say, I'd much rather you have a piece of chocolate than rather than you have some gummy bears because they're pure sugar, little bit of gelatin. But at least with the with the uh, with milk chocolate, it's at least got a little bit of dairy in it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So I, I don't get to, I used to be proper strict and forbid everything, but that it didn't work and that made them worse. And that made them go wanting to get that kind of stuff. Um, so they normally, if there's a birthday at school, which I also hate in Germany, if there's a birthday, then the kids will bring in muffins or bags of sweets and all this kind of junk food. Um, my kids bring it back home and say, is it okay if I have this? So if they say, if they bring it home and they say, can I have this? Then nine times out of 10, I'm going to say yes, because I don't want them to grow up with a, with a bad habit of, you know, like hiding, like I did with the alcohol yeah. or, or just eating it anyway. So um, but you've got to be careful with kids because if you force them in one direction, then they're just going to go in the other direction. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember when, so I didn't find keto until my boys were, um, how old were they? 14. Yeah. So they they'd sort of they were already set in their ways, but when they were little, they never had sweets ever. We only had chocolate. Yeah. Um. I mean, they did have sugar, and they did have I, when they were babies. They didn't have any sugar. I didn't give them any sugar, but they had a lot of fruit. Yeah. Um. But then, you know, my mom and my grandma, oh, they should be able to have sweets and things. Yeah. But I, never, I would never buy them. Um. I would never buy them sweets. And if we were out at a shop and, you know, you've got a, they want a drink, I would always look to see, does it have a Spartame? Does it have um, saccharin? Anything like that, they couldn't yeah. have it. It had to be almost a full fat, as I call it, full fat drinks. Um, but we all do things, you know, how, how you know how to do them. Yeah. You? And it's, yeah, I've got one that eats everything that's not we would in in the keto world we think oh my god no <laughs> and the other one who's a bit more restrained and he does have cakes and biscuits but not all the time and his go-to thing is 85 percent chocolate well, so good. um and at home you know they always eat they they of their own accord cut out potatoes out of their diet yep. at home um they have it occasionally particularly if i'm not around but mostly they don't things like that Sometimes I'll let, I'll let my kids have rice sometimes, you know, like if they, I'm, my kids love sushi and, you know, and I don't mind them having rice. I, I mean, I try and encourage them to not have it as often. So I, we try and keep 90% of the time we're a pretty low, low carb family. Like it's a pretty low carb house, but with, with the kids, sometimes um, it, especially with the eight year old, it's difficult. He goes to a birthday party they know that he can't eat gluten. So they normally buy gluten-free stuff, um, which I don't know, you could probably argue, is it better or worse for them? Um, but I can't, you know, my, they've got to grow. And, you know, the, ultimately the two older kids, they're old enough to make their own decisions anyway. Now they're 14 and 15. 
Yeah. They want to go down that route. Then I've done my best. I've educated them um, or we've educated them. My, my wife and I, my wife knows just about as much as Keto and Carnivore as I do, probably even more. Um, but my 15 year old boy, I'm super proud of him at the moment because he goes to CrossFit and he is gaining a lot of muscle and he's eating a lot of meat as well. And he, he's completely come around full circle. So he he's like, I, I will have, I will get also from the, from the market, some veg freeze it as well, because if I don't freeze the veg or if I don't buy some frozen veg, it will go off because my kids will say, Oh yeah, I love that. Oh, can I have some broccoli? And then I'll say, yeah, I'll get some broccoli, but I'm not eating broccoli at the moment. So make sure you eat it. Yeah, I will. I will. And then you pull it out of the back of the fridge and, it, and it's gone off and it's like yeah. brilliant. So um, I don't, also don't mind buying um, frozen organic vegetables for them sometimes so that when they say, oh yeah, maybe I'd like a some broccoli or some cauliflower or something, I'll say, okay, there's some in the freezer. We can just steam it and then sticks loads of cheese and butter all over it. Um, yeah. But my 15 year olds at the moment is like, no, I'm not interested in vegetables. I just want to eat meat. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> really good. So where do you see yourself going with your business and and your life, really? I, I just want to, you know, like I really want to help as many people as possible understand the value of true health, not even necessarily keto. I know that they, they've, they've caught, or I've ended up with the name Keto Kev, but my business used to be called uh, the Primal Bear. And it was, it was all more like the kind of primal ancestral and nothing's changed in the values. Um, apart from the, you know, the name is, is kind of stuck with Keto Kev. But um, I, I just want to get out the message to everybody, as many people as I can, that there's, you know, in from carnivore to keto to paleo, there's so much of a, of a wide variety of things we can eat. And the number one is we've got to heal ourselves and educate ourselves on real health first. So my first goal is to just get as many people kind of to teach as many people as possible. Um, but what I was planning on doing before, you know, the pandemic hit and everything was I wanted to make little keto weekends for people. So I wanted to do little retreats, um, but that's prevented me from flying back to the UK a lot. So I haven't been back to the UK for, well, since it happened. Um, but before I used to go, I used to try and get back a little bit more. And I want to do like, you know, like a keto retreat, like a kind of a boot camp for the weekend. And invite people like, you know, like yourself or like Jeff from Hunter and Gather or, or, or Sarah from the Keto Supplements, have a bit of a chat, you know, like with some clients, get some clients there. You know, we rent a house for the weekend. I'll teach people how to cook because I'm, you know, I'm quite a good cook, um, how they can work things out and do things like face to face, like just for a weekend or a week or something. So that's the direction that I'd like to, to kind of go. And just, it's just all about educating people that there's a much better option out there than what they're already on. Yeah. One of the things that you do is quite a lot of cooking. It looks like you do a lot of cooking when you look at your website, you've got lots of food. Tell us a little bit about that and how you did you, were you a cook before you (laughs) became keto or is that something that's just come about because of it? Mm, It's I'm not a qualified chef. And um, when I was, when I was younger, um, there was a guy that lived across the road from me and he moved in, he married my next door neighbor's granddaughter. So they moved in the house across the road. Um, and he used to be the head chef for the Sultan of Brunei. So the executive chef for the Sultan of Brunei. And, um, you know, he was, he's a world-class mission star chef and 
he fascinated me because he traveled the world and he'd been to these places and, you know, he'd been to these countries and you go in his house and it's like a museum. And it was like, you know, these artifacts from Africa and there was something else from this and something else from that. And um, he was the, he was like taught me when I was like eight and I used to pester my mum used to say, don't leave Jeremy alone. Stop pestering him. Mm -hmm. No, no, it's fine. And we used to play a little bit of computer games together, but mostly we used to like, uh, he used to teach me about food you know, like the quality of food, yeah. you know, smoked salmon, caviar, you know, I tasted caviar. I didn't like it, but I tasted it when I was at like nine or 10, um, you know, how to bake bread, fresh bread. So I was always into that kind of, uh, kind of homemade stuff anyway. Um, and then when I left the, uh, left and joined the army, I kind of lost contact with him, but he would always teach, he was always teaching me how to cook. And he was on um, a BBC radio program, and they recorded it all and he was cooking and I helped him cook. And that was the last thing I'd done with him. Um, I think it was radio tour, radio four anyway. Um, and then I left the army or left for the army. And then I didn't really do much, but we would have some friends over for dinner. And I was always, you know, because of my drinking problem, I was always into like pairing the wine with the food and everything has to go. <laughs> and, you know, Even though I was eating gluten and that, I was still really putting the effort into kind of cooking good. And I like Gordon Ramsay, probably because he swears just as much as I do. But, um, you know, and I liked, I did like Jamie Oliver because he'd done his whole Jamie Oliver at home. Um, and then I got into Hugh Fernley Whittenstall because he grew it all himself. Yeah. And that was, I went through that phase when I left the army. I was like, right. Said to my wife, I'm going animals. She's like, what do you mean animals? I said, well, first we're going to get chickens. So we got like 20 odd chickens or something running around the garden. Then we got ducks. Then we got quails. Then we got guinea fowl. And she was like, right, that's it. You're not having anything else. You know, it's turned into a zoo. Um, and then a fox came one night, killed everything. Anyway, oh, no. so, yeah, but we ate it all anyway. I ate, I ate it. The dogs ate it. I took the breasts off, cut the best part off, and the dogs ate the rest. So it wasn't wasted. You know, it was, it was fine. Um, so I was into that and I was into cooking for myself, you know, like sustainable food. That's where my whole seasonal thing came from, from River Cottage. Um, and then I, I just enjoy cooking and I think I enjoy entertaining people. And that's like when I was, I used to be in a band as well. And I love being on the stage and entertaining people. And I love uh, cooking for people and seeing the look on their face when they taste something and, and it's different and it's, you know, not what you would normally cook. And, and I like, a little bit more of gourmet food and things like that in the right direction. So, um, which is strange for someone who just eats hamburger patties for a month. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've <laughs> got to have some downtime, haven't you? To get away from it. But yeah, when you put it like that, it does sound a little bit strange, but Jeremy, Jeremy, we, we found contact again when I left the army and we continue now to, to zoom like once a week and he's giving me tips and we're cooking together via zoom sometimes. And he's like teaching me, I'm never going to be a qualified chef because he can't do qualification chef the way that I cook. Um, but we, we labeled myself or he labeled me as a cuisine. which is a French, um, word for cook, like an undercook but not chef basically. Yeah. Um, so we, we labeled that as a cuisine. So yeah, I love cooking and, Every opportunity that I get, I, I want to fill my house with people to cook for. And I can't wait for the day that my kids bring their kids home and we have a weekend and I say, right, everyone have a weekend and I'll cook brunch for everyone. And, you know, it, cooking is a, a real passion. It's like um, cooking. I love music, you know, like, although you wouldn't believe it, 
I like every kind of music from heavy metal music like Metallica all the way up to Tchaikovsky. I love all kinds of music yeah. and, and Wagner and all those kinds of um, artists. And I love art, taking photos, I love photography. So in, for my opinion, it all kind of fits in together, like music, art, cooking, it's all an art. It's all a, you know, artistic talents. Yes. Um, and you can express yourself so much on a plate with so little amount of food as well. Like, yeah, you could eat a burger patty, like dump a burger patty on there, or, or you can get something from McDonald's and then you can create something that's way better than what they can cook. I know it's fast food, but you know, you can then take the ingredients and create something that's memorable and someone will come. People never forget when they come to my house to eat because it, I pull out all the stops. Wow. I love cooking. Love it. Shame. I can't come to Germany. They won't let me in. (laughs) Well, I, I always say to everybody, and I genuinely mean this, we have a spare room and if anyone, and I mean it, anyone ever wants to, I don't even care if I don't even know the person, if they want to come and cook with me, then, you know, I've got a full on functioning kitchen in my office in, in, in my cellar. And that's, I also like, I like working from home and I will, I will probably never, no matter how successful my business grows or no matter what happens, I will probably never move out of my home to cook, like to, to make my business because my kids come back from school and I can involve them in what I'm doing and I can be there for them. So I love being there for them. So I contemplated moving recently um, when we renovated our house and getting a place of my own because I was like, oh, I'm in a cellar. That's a bit dingy. But then when I made the cellar the way I wanted it, it's, it's lovely. And my kids come down and I sit and do work here and my kitchen part is all there and you know you get a good connection so i i love i don't know cooking there's something about cooking that i love Not yeah. that there's people that are out there cook way better than me but you know when when i done like this year when i done my book um it, it was just so much fun and i got the guys that i take photos with we take photos nearly every saturday um and they came and they took some amazing photos meet the three of us done it and uh for my book and writing a book at the moment like a proper keto book that i want to you know like that i want to publish um and it's going to have like 100 odd recipes in there as well and i can't wait to start taking the photos of these things because i've cooked them before and i know what they want to what i want them to look like and i've got them in my brain but they're going to come out completely different on the photo and i i'm just looking forward to seeing the results yeah so for <laughs> those people that are just listening which is nearly everybody um where Kev's sitting in his basement is looks like a front room. So I can see a fireplace and pictures <laughs> on the wall. It just looks like a normal room. So it's not dingy at all. But not anymore, no. <laughs> I've, I've had all the walls plastered. Like all of these walls were like brick and there was no heating in here. And I would sit there in like last Christmas, I was sitting there last winter, sitting there with, you know, like a jacket on and, and 20 hats and stuff like that. And, <laughs> But no, it's, it, I've really made it definitely something. And then I'm probably actually going <laughs> to, we're actually going to move house in about six months. So I've got to all again. Oh no. <laughs> but you've probably added a lot of value to that house. Yeah. Well, um, sadly, my mother-in-law passed away in November um, and we're going to move into her house because it's bigger. Um, it's in a nicer area. And, um, you know, we, we're going to, well, we don't know what we're going to do with this place, but um, yeah, we'll, 
probably would have told everyone because we only decided a few days ago. So by the time this airs, everyone will know about it anyway. So um, <laughs> yeah, but we're, we're going to move there. So it's nice to be there. But luckily, like the way the house sits, it's like uh, it's on um, like the, the ground two floors are like a kind of a shape, like a Z or something, you know, like ish. Um, and where I am going to build my kitchen, it also goes into like a winter garden or, or a conservatory which goes out into the garden. So I've even extended my cooking and photo capabilities wow. to barbecuing right next to my kitchen. Excellent. So I've got a barbecue area now right next to my kitchen. So I'm actually looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. So Kev, um, tell people where they can find you, how they can contact you, get in touch with you, all those things. Um, yeah, you got to get carrier pigeon. And no, <laughs> um, <laughs> if you go onto my website, www ketokev.com nice and simple can't forget it and then everything is on there and so i find it easier to direct people towards my website and then on the back page where it says contact us it's got all the details of all the groups that i run all my email addresses for whatever you want coaching or just information you know or macros or whatever everything's there the instagram the youtube all of those kind of things rather than you know because they're too much information to to give out if you just like i said ketokev.com done and all the information is on there for people to find. Brilliant. Thank you. So we always finish off with your three top tips. Oh, okay. Yeah. So my three top tips. Yeah. Well, let's have a look. So I would definitely say the three top tips that I would give to people, what, for like just starting or just in general? However you want that to be. Okay. Well, I'll go for starting because I get a lot of beginners at the moment. So I would definitely say the top one, like the very most important thing is you've got to read the label. And there's so many people at the moment that are just joining my group and they're saying, can I have this? And and we look down and it's like the second ingredient is like 30% sugar. So it's important to read the label, but attached to that, it's also important to understand. So understand and reading labels is like super important as well. Um, The next thing I would definitely give a tip for is stay off the scales, all right? Because scales are in my opinion are kind of pointless all they tell you is how heavy your whole body is it doesn't give you a breakdown if you want to break down you've got to get like i've got a sculpt which scans all your body and it tells you how much body fat that is at different parts so ditch the scales because all that is is a relative of how heavy your relationship to the ground that's all it is the the pull of gravity on the earth that, that, yeah. that, that's it. it. It doesn't say anything else. So I've got pictures of me when I've been 110 kilos and looked worse or, you know, or say, I don't know, like whatever kilos and looked worse than I did when I was slimmer. Do you know what I mean? Because I've gained muscle, I've gained a lot of weight through muscle and I look great, but I've been slimmer and I've looked horrible because there's yeah. been more body fat. So just ditch the scales. Um, and the next one is, is it's just don't be dogmatic and like, so strict about everything if you have an accident and i like if you eat something that you're not supposed to or if you break it don't stress stress is the number one cause you know of of you losing your rails and getting and falling off whatever you're doing whatever diet you know keto carnival paleo um so if you don't stress if you just take it easy and ask advice and just you know take it in a relaxed manner then you're going to find things a lot easier as well. So that's got to be the, the, the three tips is like read the labels and understand what you're eating, ditch the scales um, and take everything easy and relax. 
Yeah. Ask question. Ask questions as well. Ask people questions, and don't just ask one person questions. Ask as many people as you can, because whereas I coach in one way, that might not be for you. So if I turn around and say, "Don't eat peanuts," because I don't, you know, I think peanuts and and uh, are quite bad. Um, whereas other people, twenty. Yeah, I people- I would say if you want to eat peanuts, yeah. fine. Just be aware that they're very inflammatory. Absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. you might want to choose something yeah. else, but yeah. you know, carb for carb, they're the same as almonds. Absolutely. Yeah. So when it, when you look at it like that, and then I, because I try and dial in a little bit more on what they do and things like that, then I say, don't eat peanuts. So if you ask two people, two different things, you ask 10 people, you're going to get a better idea. You know, if you just stick with one person, it can become quite like, you know, you'll end up in a cult. We don't need yeah. a, we don't need a keto kev cult. We don't need that because it's just not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So I love ask that. questions. Yeah. As a bonus, like just to ask as many questions, as many people as you can and, and take all the knowledge in, you know, there was a, there was, I'll, I'll never forget. Like I watched a documentary about Metallica and he said that it, it's a circle. So um, the, the guy, he was in the crowd and he said afterwards, he was watching you and all the energy from everyone on the stage was coming into him and he was channeling the energy and he was giving it back out to the, you know, to everybody and also back to the band who were picking up the, the energy and then giving it back to the, so it was a circle. So if you just take every, if you, it's like a filter, if you take everybody's knowledge, you know, and then take all the knowledge and take the bits that you want and then filter it back out to wherever you're going, then you might even end up teaching your coach something that they didn't know. Absolutely. So we learn so much from our clients. Oh yeah. We, I, I don't know everything. I don't claim to know everything. Um, although I, I did claim when I was, you know, just starting out quite arrogant, I did claim a lot. Um, but you know, we, we're all learning, you know, I'll I'll be 95, you know, still driving around or doing CrossFit and still not know everything. So, yeah. Great. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome. Anytime. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a while since I've done a podcast with someone, but yeah, pretty good. Excellent. Thank you. We can see from what Kev's saying is that he was in the army, he was exercising, and he was still 130 kilos. Um, but due to his injury, he couldn't exercise as much as everyone else. So it's got me thinking that if the army are exercising so much that everybody is staying fit, I almost said fit and healthy, but let's say fit, how damaging is their diet and how much exercise are they actually doing to maintain that fitness and that weight? Because as we saw from Kev, that without that extra exercise, he was just adding on extra weight. And it makes me think that how much more efficient would the army be if they were fat fueled? They would be I don't know, unstoppable almost, I think. That was an interesting insight into what goes on in the army. And we know that that, that what they're fed is based on the eat well plate or the my plate, depending on where you are in the world. And And then he was saying how he had an alcohol problem and he was, I'd, I'd like to say man enough, but big enough to to say 
to recognise that it was a problem, that he was going to lose his family if he didn't make some changes. And he and he did make those changes, so fair on to him. And I love that he eats according to the season of the year. So when it's coming up to Christmas, he's a little bit more primal and less keto. And then straight after in January and February, he's carnivore. And then when vegetables come into season, that he introduces more vegetables. So he's really eating with the seasons in in what's growing and what's not growing and what's best for his body. And he's found a way that really works for him. And his whole family is involved in this way of life and this way of eating to a greater or lesser extent. And then we can look how his business is set up in in his house. So he's there with his family, you know, on hand the whole time. So I thought this was a really fascinating interview and I really enjoyed talking to Kev and we will get him back soon. So if you want to find the show notes, they're at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero seven two. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.